I want to talk to you this morning about two very simple words. So simple that we um, look at them and say, well, what, what kind of message can be wrapped up in those two simple, single-syllable words? They're the same words that we have heard. If you have any kind of a Christian background, you've heard them for many years. You've used them throughout your Christian experience. People have told you in Sunday school, you need to trust God. They're two words that our Christian parents likely have taught us. They're two words that appear in Scripture hundreds and hundreds of times. And as simple as they are, they are powerful if we will simply learn to execute them in our personal lives. Let me tell you about my own experience as a little boy. I'll never, rem- I'll never forget that as a child, my parents wanted to make sure I knew how to swim. And so they afforded me the opportunity to, to have swimming lessons. And I learned to swim as a very young child. And learning to swim, I remember I did really good on the swimming part. But then someone tried to get me to jump off the deep end. Well, that was a different story. Jumping off the deep end just caused me to shake and tremble with fear. I was afraid of the deep end. And particularly in this pool that I learned to swim in, there was two diving boards. One was a shallow board and one was a high diving board. I'm talking one of those real high ones. I'll never forget as a boy, all of my friends were going down to the deep end and swimming and they were jumping off and they were diving and I was still huddling back in the shallow, safe waters of the other end of the pool. It went like that for quite a number of years and and everybody would make fun of me and I took a lot of abuse for that. But I'll never forget that there was one particular day Even though my parents had urged me and others had urged me, there was a a man at the pool that day who noticed my fear. He said, come, let me just, just come with me down. I want to walk you down to the the deep end. And and I'm shaking as I went. I'll never forget, he got out into the water and he had me stand up on the shallow diving board, of course, not the high one. So he had me stand out on the diving board. And I remember staying way back on the diving board where it was very safe and secure. He swims out into the deep end and he just is out there and he says, now look, he said, I promise you, if you'll just, just go out on that board and just jump, I'm right here and I promise you that I'll catch you. Well, I knew him and had known him for many years. I knew he was someone that probably wasn't going to lie to me. And that particular day, I decided I was going to trust him. And I walked out to the end of the board. I took a jump. He caught me as I went into the water and that moment freed me from the fears and that which had always constrained me and held me back from experiencing the deep end. From that point on, there was no problem. I was always jumping off the board from that point on. That broke the hold of that fear in my life. You know, sometimes in our lives, we also have problems getting to the deep end. Amen? And we many times have problems putting our trust where it belongs, and it belongs in the Lord. One of the reasons I think that we struggle is because trust is not an easy thing to do in the world today. It's not easy. The reason is because so many people, I think, betray us. We've had our trust betrayed so much that we're very intimidated about trusting someone else. Someone once provided me with a list and I'm going to read it to you. 
I take no credit for it myself. Someone provided me with a list of people to never trust. I can't tell you that I reference it frequently, but anyway, someone told me there, you need to always remember there's some people you don't want to trust in life. Can I read you the list? Number one, never trust a used car salesman. He kind of looks a little bit like that. Uh, Never trust a used car salesman who says, this car is in good running condition. Never trust someone who says, I'll never tell anyone. Never preach, never trust the preacher who says, in conclusion. Go personal. Never trust someone who says, the check, come on, finish it, is in the mail. Never trust someone who says, I never inhaled. Sorry. Never trust a dog owner who says, don't worry. He doesn't bite. Some of y'all have gone through these very traumatic experiences, haven't you? Never trust someone who says, don't worry, we'll never get caught. Never trust someone who says, you go down this road, kind of like Pastor Todd last night. You go down this road, you can't miss it. You just go on down there and you turn left and you'll see something over there and you turn right. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. Never trust a dentist who says, this will only hurt a little. I'm touching on everybody here today. Never trust someone who says, I can stop anytime I want to. Never trust someone who says, if you like your health care plan, you can keep it. All right, we'll go on from there. I'm sorry. I apologize. It's not my list. It's from someone else. In a world of distrust, I ask you the question, who can we trust after all? The great wise one, Solomon, helps us out. I'm going to share with you a scripture that probably you memorized in Sunday school. Probably in your early discipleship days, it's one of those passages of scripture that you likely memorized. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3. Would you turn there with me, please? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I'm asking you to turn to it, even though I'm going to put it right on the screen so you can see it, because I just don't want to lose the habit of turning to the Word of God together, all right? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and he will direct your paths. There's a lot of truth in that simple verse. Sometimes we actually have known a verse and been familiar with the verse so long, we actually forget the significance of it, don't we? And this one, you, many of you could actually quote it, but I want you to pause for a moment, take off your, your, your lenses, and would you just approach this verse in a fresh way today and ask the Lord to speak to us about the simple charge Trust God. Just trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. I want to share with you today several lessons, very simple, very easy to remember, lessons on trusting God. You ready for these? All right, number one. Trust God with everything. It goes right in hand with the verse, doesn't it? 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number one, we're to trust God with everything. I think many of us have a habit of holding back certain things from the Lord. We believe in Him. He's our Lord, our Savior, and we love Him. But but the actual activity of trusting God with every area of your life seems to be a leap off the deep end. But that's what the Bible tells us to do. And frankly, that's the place that each of us need to be. We need to be a place where we are putting our whole trust in God, but in every area of our life. How many of you remember the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22? I'm certain most of you do. It's a story in which God has instructed Abraham to take his son Isaac, the one in which he had waited and waited and waited to have his promised son. And then God gives him a covenant regarding this son, but then instructs him to go up to Mount Moriah and to take his son and to place him on an altar and to kill him. Not about you, but as a father, that would take a lot of trust for me to obey that directive. How about you? To take your only son, the son of promise. It speaks to me of the deep level of trust that Abraham had in God. He trusted God's word. He trusted what God had already told him. And he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And he placed that young boy on the altar. You know, just as a sidebar, it's always amazed me, but most Bible scholars suggest that, that Isaac was likely around 17 years old when that happened. I think sometimes in our mind, we imagine a little, little boy being put on the altar. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm just this kind of a guy. I'm always asking questions. I'm thinking, how did he get Isaac up on that altar? There probably had to be a high level of trust in Isaac also. Trusting his father. He was willing to be strapped down onto an altar and have his father raise his knife. And you say, well, how in, the world, how in the world could Abraham have done that? Because Abraham knew God. And he knew that if he killed him, God was able to simply raise him from the dead. Man, that is faith. Would you agree? That is an amazing level of trust in God. I want to ask you this morning, are there areas of life that you have trusted God in, but are there also areas that you have held back, that you've held in reserve? Kind of ace in the hole. Kind of one of those things where you've trusted God with your marriage, but not your finances. You've trusted God maybe in, in one area, but you've never ever relied upon him, relied upon him when it comes to knowing your future, making a career choice. You better make certain that you trust God for wisdom when you're choosing a spouse. Come on, some, someone say amen to that, right? You better not marry the wrong person. We need to bring everything out of the closet. We need to put everything out there and say, I'm going to go all in today. I'm going to trust God with everything, every aspect of my life, every percentage point of my life. I'm going all in in trusting God. I challenge you to do that today. You will not be sorry that you did. Number two, the second simple lesson about trusting God. Number one is Trust God with everything. Number two is trust God's timing. Now, what I have noticed is that this is an area that's very difficult, particularly for me, maybe not you, but I found and many of you have found that God's timing is not my timing. I know what God's word says. 
I know what his promises are. But trusting is timing. I've often told people, listen, knowing what God wants you to do in life isn't the biggest challenge. It's knowing when to do it. That's the real test point, isn't it? I found in my experience with walking with the Lord, I've been in full-time ministry 43 years this year, and I, I've most of the time I've struggled with God's timing. In fact, many times I, I teach at Regent University uh, on a couple of different schools and and uh, I have frequently have students that have to interview me for their some class project or something. And they always want to ask, you know, where did you mess up? You know, they always want to take you back to those things. They tell me your weaknesses. I said, I have so many, you do not have time to interview me on that. So one of the things that I frequently tell them is one of the things that I've done wrong in my ministry, and if I could undo something, I would change the way that I processed change certain changes I knew that God was orchestrating the way that I led them, but I would frequently do them prematurely. I would get out ahead of God. Now, we can, we can miss God's timing a number of ways. We can either get out ahead of him or we can also be too late. So the key is to be in step with God's spirit and with his timing in our lives. But it's really tough. How many of you ever heard it said before, God's an 1159 God? Have you ever heard that before? And the reason is because sometimes we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, and we think God's not going to do anything, so I better do it. But many times God, it just seems to be a part of his characteristics. It's not that he can't act anytime he wants to, but he sends, tends to wait till the very last moment. And I think it's about trust. I think he's wanting to see, do you really trust me in this particular matter? And if we do, we'll just go ahead and hold on and let God do what he's going to do. I want to tell you a story this morning, the recent news, and particularly because it's been in news recently, at least the location. All of us are aware of the tragedies that have been happening with terrorist attacks in Europe. And I've spent a lot of time ministering in Europe. And I have a very, very close friend who is a church planter and pastor in Brussels, Belgium. And um, he's a precious brother. I love him a lot. And uh, you'll see the connection in just a moment. Many years ago, he uh, felt called of God. He was a professional uh, soccer player. And then the Lord called him into the ministry. And so he started winning people to Jesus, and they started with a little Bible study in his home, and then it got too big, and they needed a place to meet. And so by faith, he just begins to pray and survey over the neighborhoods of, of Brussels where they were to locate the church. And uh, he drove by this particular area of northern Brussels, and he saw a building. It was a building that had been built many, many years before, magnificent old building. It was an old church building. And the, uh, the Belgian evangelical church that had met there was going to be moving out into the suburbs. And North Brussels had been, even at that time, now this had to be, this had to be maybe 10 years ago when this happened, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Um, Northern Brussels in particular had a heavy influx of immigrant population. And even at the time that it began to look at this building, 90, I think he said something like 95, 96% of the residents of North Brussels were immigrants. And the particular location of where this church that he found was, was heavily, heavily dominated by um, Muslim populations. He found this building and it was empty. It had been vacant for years. The church had moved out and they wanted to sell it. So he went and met, made appointment with the owners 
of the building, this other church, and he told them what he wanted to do. And they said, they said, well, they said, here's the price. We would really like to sell it to a church, but you know, we need the money. And he said, well, I trust God to, to provide. And, um, they said, well, look, uh, see if you can get the money together. So they began to raise money in their church. And the price of the building, I think, in, in U.S. dollars at the time was like two and a half million dollars or something like that. It was a hefty amount. And, uh, and they only had about 60 people. And so I'm thinking to myself, wow, boy, you're really taking a step. And um, so they began to collect money, raise money within the church, and they raised a significant amount of money, and the people sacrificed greatly. And they went to the bank and to see how much the bank would lend them. And, and after probably two months of all of these efforts, they still were short by about $1.47 million, the equivalent of it in euros. Looked like an impossible hill to climb. And uh, you got a phone call from the owners of the building. They said, now look, uh, I'm sorry, but we, we can only give you uh, another two weeks of consideration. He said, well, why two weeks? He says, because the local mosque would like to buy that property. And they have offered, as you can suspect, cash deal. They had the money. And the church elders from the other church said, look, we really don't want to sell to a mosque, but we have to sell. He said, give me two weeks. He said, fine. My friend, whose name is Sosta Mavuma, Sosta got his wife. They took a trip to Paris, got on the train, went to Paris to spend a week of fair, uh, prayer and fasting, waiting on God, diligent prayer. And he's quite a, a, a very dedicated prayer warrior anyway. So they went to Paris praying. And uh, while they were sitting on one particular day, they were sitting on a park bench and uh, just praying together. And they noticed that there was someone across the, the uh, sidewalk from where they were, and he took notice of them, and they didn't want to appear unfriendly. And, and uh, so he spoke to them and said, Oh, hi, uh, are, you, are you from Paris? They go, Oh, no, no, we're, we're from out of town. We're from Brussels. We're just here for a week. He goes, Oh, well, great. Welcome. And carried on the conversation. And in the conversation, he said, he kept pushing me. He said, why, what, what are you doing here? And so finally, Sosta and his wife said, well, to be honest, we're, we're, we're praying. As if to say, you could just let us be. <laughs> you know, we, just, we just want some time here alone to pray. And he said, well, who do you pray to? And they told him that they were Christians and who they prayed to. And uh, he said, I, I don't mean to be nosy. He said, but do you mind telling what are you praying for? And they're thinking, wow, this guy is very direct. And, and so they said, well, what does it hurt? Tell a stranger. So they said, well, the reason is because we have this building that we want to buy for our church and we're still lacking an amount of money. And so we're here praying and fasting, asking God to show us what to do. He said, well, that's great. He said, uh, how much are you lacking? So they told him how many euros that they were lacking. And so they closed the conversation and um, departed. And by the time that Sosta and Sandra returned home to Brussels, they had a phone call from their bank officer 
who said, I don't know how to tell you this, uh, Pastor Mavuma, but there's been a wire transfer into your account. And he said, really? I, I don't know about a wire transfer. He said, well, it's actually there's no name attached to it. But it was a wire transfer made today. We thought you'd want to know because it's $1.4 million. The equivalent of that. Which was right at the amount they were still lacking. I thought to myself many times, what an amazing story. And by the way, now they, they are in that neighborhood. It is a thriving, spirit-filled church right in the heart of some of the heaviest influenced areas of Muslim population. Many of them good people, but uh, there are also many radicals in that area as well. They've had stones thrown into their windows and a lot of persecution that they've had being there because they're the only ones in the whole area that are standing up and shining the light for Jesus Christ. But it also demonstrates to me how important it is to trust God even with timing. How many of you maybe even today, there's something you're believing God for, something you're standing in faith for, and maybe you've started wavering a little bit. Maybe you've thought, this is taking way too long, or maybe you're right up against a deadline and you don't know how to handle it. Would you today make a decision to trust God's timing? Trust that God's timing is best. Let me give you number three. A third lesson on trusting God is that you need to trust God whenever you're facing adversity. Trust God when you're facing adversity. You know what I'm talking about. When you're facing a difficulty in life, when you're going through a difficult, troubling time and adversity in life, and you're not sure where to turn, you're not sure exactly how to deal with it, the answer is not to take it upon yourself, but remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into what? Your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct you your paths. Trust God when you're facing the adversities of life. Oh, there's so many examples from the Bible that we could give you, but one that jumps to my mind is from 1 Samuel chapter 30. You remember the story probably. It's when David and his men were to a city called Ziklag. It was actually a village that had been given to them by a foreign king. David and his men had been out at war during the day and they came back to the village at night only to find that the enemy had come and burned down all of the house, all of their, all their whole village. And all the women and children had been taken captive. Now, David and his men didn't exactly know the whole story. They weren't sure whether their wives and, and children were dead or alive. But they were devastated. They were troubled. They were, there was a sense of traumatic grief that settled in upon them. And it says, and all the men wept and wept and wept until they had no more strength to weep. It says that they were bitter in their souls. They were bitter. In fact, so bitter that they turned against David. And they were ready to stone David. By the way, there's a great principle there. Many times we want to blame someone else when we're hurting. And uh, they turned against their leader. And they're about ready to stone him. And the Bible tells us how David handled it. It's a remarkable example of trusting in God. And David, if it were me, I'd pick a, a bigger stone. 
you know, I'd be ready to defend myself. I'd be ready to have an argument with them. But not David. The Bible simply says he turned and it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. In the moment of that adversity, what did he do? He turned to the one he knew he could trust. He put his focus, he put his eyes on the Lord God. I wonder when we face our difficulties in life, regardless of what it is, I wonder if we will also trust God or will we trust ourselves? Trust God, listen to me, trust God when life makes no sense. When you can't figure it out, if you haven't had any of those moments, hold on, you will. There will be moments that you just can't quite figure it out. It doesn't follow the script. You don't know what to do. Trust God. Trust God when you're facing unexpected circumstances. Face God when the going gets tough. Oh, I could tell you many stories, and I'll, I'll make this one quick. I have a very another friend who is a uh, evangelist and pastor in the northern part of India. He serves in an area of India that is dangerous to share the gospel. You can be persecuted. You can even be killed if you're too bold about Jesus and the gospel in that part of India. He lives in the, the town of Varanasi. It has a reputation. Varanasi has so many idols and it's so given over to their idolatry and to their gods that they believe it's probably one of their most holy cities. It's also one of the most demonically controlled places I've ever been in my life. The missionaries who ever spend any time there say most Americans, most American Christians can spend only 24 hours in Varanasi. Because literally when you walk into the city, you're driving the city, you literally feel like something's pushing you down to the ground. The heaviness, the weight of the demonic oppression is that bad. I was there with my wife and we were invited to go and speak at and meet this pastor and speak in his church. We walked into a room that was so crowded, small and so crowded, there was no room for anybody to sit down. So people were literally standing shoulder to shoulder, back to back, packing this room. We had to, you know, go in sideways just to get in the room. Those people were so hungry for God, they were calling out to God, they were praying up a storm, and I was able just to share a simple word with them and, and spent time with the pastor afterwards in his home. And I said, I have to understand, Ramesh, I said, I understand that it's, it's dangerous here serving God. He said, well, some people consider it dangerous. He said, I just know that this is my assignment. I said, can you tell me a little bit more about what's involved in, in, in serving here in Varanasi? And he said, well, he said, it usually about once a year, I'm arrested. I'm arrested and they strip me naked and they take me out into the middle of the city square and they beat me and they, and they put me there and literally in chains and they leave me there for a day or two. Making, sending a message to everyone else. This is what happens to Christians. And he said, he said, but I know what God's called me to do and our church is growing or reaching people for Jesus. And he said, I'm just going to keep on doing it. All the time I pray for Ramesh because I know the price that he's paying to stand up for Jesus. I think to myself, wow, that's pretty adverse. I wonder how many of us could handle that level of adversity and still put our total trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your 
heart. Today, are you possibly facing some kind of difficulty? Likely not what Ramesh is facing. But I charge you today, regardless of your situation, put your trust in God. Number four, and the last point I'll make is that we need to trust God because of who he is. Sometimes we forget what it is. What is the bedrock of what we put our trust in? What are we sinking the anchor into? I know it's we're trusting God, but why? Think and remember who he is. Think about his nature, his characteristics, his attributes, and know that ought to engender and encourage you to put a greater level of trust in him. Why? Because God is good. Amen? Because God is good. Because God is loving. Because he is all-powerful. He is just. He is sovereign. He is able to deliver. And he is a delivering God. Amen? He is a healer. Whatever the need that you have is. You can put your trust in God because of who he is. And because of who he says he is. Amen? There was a girl tell this story and we'll wrap up. There was a, a girl I was ministering in uh, St. Thomas and uh, there was a girl that uh, that came up for prayer with her grandmother at the end of the service. She came up. In fact, I noticed when she was coming up, she was, crip she was crippled in one leg. She barely made it up to the front and her, her grandmother informed me that, that she was 14 years old and she was born this way and started to be embarrassed with her friends because of uh, being lame in that one leg. And she said, she said she she touched her grandmother and said, could we could I be prayed for tonight? She brought her up to be prayed for for healing for a miracle. And uh, I'm thinking, man, Lord, you know, headaches would have been a whole lot easier. But uh, wow, you this is a tough one here. So the friend that was with me, we just laid hands on her. We just prayed in Jesus name. Nothing, nothing different. Just prayed a simple prayer. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from the friend who had invited me there. He said, do you happen to remember the, the little girl that we prayed for? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember her. And he said, uh, he said about 10 days ago, he said, I was in the middle of town and, and her grandmother came running and caught me and told me a testimony I want to share with you. About a week after you left, one night in the middle of the night, that teenage girl was laying in her bed asleep and all of a sudden she woke up and started screaming. The grandmother heard it, rushed into the room to find out what was going on with her granddaughter. And she was sitting up in bed and she was saying, my leg, my leg, my leg, it's burning. It's so hot. What, what do I do? What do I do? What's going on? And her grandmother, sensing maybe that God was up to something, said, I want you just to stand up off the side of the bed for a moment. And she lifted her to the side of the bed and she stood on those two legs. And all of a sudden, as she took her first step, in Jesus' name, she took that step. And when she did, she was being healed. And she took one step. She took two steps. By the time God was finished over the next 10 minutes, she was running around the room, totally healed from that crippled leg. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Why? God is a healer. It's because of who he is. And the Bible tells us who God is. And so you can put your trust today in that kind of God. Why do we often fail this test of trust? Why? Why? It's so basic. It's so simple. But why do we often fail that test? I just wrote down a couple of reasons that I think I sometimes fail it 
Can I just read my list to you? I think that frequently I'm too self-sufficient. I think sometimes I'm really good at it in getting out of jams. Those that are present, viable options. Sometimes I've, I think I can get out of the jam without trusting God. Sometimes I short-circuit what God's wanting to do. Sometimes I trust people more than God. Anybody relate to that? Why? I can see them. I can hear them. I can touch them. Sometimes we just feel distant from God with things that we've gone through. Also, I know that I've cultivated the bad habit of worrying. I'm pretty good at worrying sometimes. Sometimes we're better at worrying than we are trusting. And this morning, I'll leave you with that thought. I can promise you this. I can promise you one thing. Every single day of our lives, we're going to need someone to trust. We're going to need someone to lean on and to handle the weights of our life. I want to read something to you as we close. I'm just going to have a, a brief altar call. This hymn is likely familiar to you. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning on the everlasting arms. This morning I want to pray with you. If you're here today, maybe you're in the midst of things in your life and you realize that you've not trusted God with everything. I'm going to ask that for you to respond today. If you're here today and you realize in your own personal walk, you've never totally trusted God, or maybe there was a time that you say, I think I did, but maybe I'm not really trusting him like I did. I want to pray with you this morning. If you're here in those situations, would you just raise your hand right now and say, pray for me. I'm just going to pray a general prayer. Very good. God bless you. Would you stand to your feet for a moment? I want to ask one other thing. Is there someone here this morning in this first service? You've never totally put your trust in Jesus Christ. You need to be born again. That's the beginning point. Putting your total trust in the Lord begins with entrusting Him with your salvation. And the result is that God gives you a new life, eternal life. And there's nothing better than living for Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you never put your trust in Jesus Christ, but you'd like to, I don't want to miss the opportunity for you to make that decision. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Bobby, I want to do that today. I want to put my faith in in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Would you make that decision right now? Are there any hands today? I see one there. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Keep them up for a moment. Anyone else? I need to I need to be a follower of Jesus. I want to trust Him today. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Quickly. The two of you, would you please walk to the front? We have some prayer workers here. They're just going to pray for you very quickly. It won't take long at all. 
They're just going to pray a quick prayer with you. Some will meet you right here at the altar. If there's anybody else that wants to make that decision, you do so now. Father, I pray for every single person that is standing in this room right now who needs a trust adjustment. Who needs an adjustment to our attitude and the way that we live and walk. And I pray for those who raised their hands and said, Lord, I need to take a step forward in my trust life. So we pray for them today that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would lead them and guide them. And as they make the decision today to stop trusting themselves and stop trusting the words of other people. And ultimately, we just put our trust in you. Lord, I ask that you would guide us and help us to do that this morning. We pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.